With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the latest edition of the Monday Morning Quarterback Podcast. It is Wednesday, January 24th, and it is championship week in the NFL, the AFC, the NFC championship games. We are down to four teams. Championship Sunday, only a few days away. But, of course, before we get into that, there is plenty of coaching stuff to get into. There's a look back at the divisional round, and obviously we will talk about the two games ahead and we'll pick the games. I think we're actually on opposite ends for once uh, on one of them. So that, that'll that'll be a little bit interesting. Um, but before we get into all that, uh, I'm Matt Verderam, of course, uh, NFL writer here at Sports Illustrated. And uh, Gilberto Manzano, uh, my colleague with uh, the same title. Uh, how are you doing, man? What's going on? Yeah, I- I'm doing well. And uh, as people know, it's kind of a, a rocky week here at SI. But we're still here producing content. And I'm glad to be here with you, Matt, to talk a uh, MNQB podcast. And People always say the divisional round is the best weekend on the NFL calendar. I, I'm always kind of hesitant about that. But then there's some two really good games, right? We got the 49ers and the Packers, Chiefs and the Bills. So maybe it is uh, the best weekend in football. I am of that opinion. It certainly was uh, a very interesting win. Even the Lions-Bucks was a pretty good game for the most part, tied going to the fourth quarter. And yeah, look, you touched on it. We probably should touch on it here at the top because people are probably confused and like don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah. Um. So look, Sports Illustrated is still here. We are still publishing. It is not dead. It is not dying. Um, essentially, what's happening, to, to put this into the whole layman's terms, because it's a complicated situation, is essentially there is a company called ABG that owns Sports Illustrated. Okay, They license out the intellectual property, uh, which, you know, the magazine, um, the, 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 the website, to the arena group, which is the company that signs our checks. And uh, the license lapsed last thursday 
And so, uh, unfortunately, there were some layoffs that the company went through. Uh, we lost some people immediately. Uh, Gilberto and I, obviously not among them. We're still here. Um, and so, really, right now, we're just kind of in a, in a limbo period. We're waiting to see if the two sides renegotiate a new license. And if they do, as far as you're concerned, as the consumer, the consumer and the listener and the reader, like nothing's going to change. I mean, it's really you know, nothing. You're not going to notice any difference. Um, there's a potential that the license goes to another company. And then at that point, like I obviously we can't guarantee anything. I would imagine that in that world, we would go with SI to that new entity that's licensing out SI. Um, and then, yeah, look, there is the third option. It's a nuclear option where the license just doesn't get picked up and SI goes dark. I would be pretty floored if that happens. I mean, Sports Illustrated has been around for over 70 years. In my humble opinion, it is still, if not the place for sports journalism, certainly right at the top. It is still a profitable entity. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, I, I just wanted to lay that out there for people who are like, am I going to get another magazine? Am I going to? Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. Yes. Like, we still plan on being here for a very long time. It's been a tough week. There's no question. We've lost friends who got laid off. Um, but SI is still here. We are still producing content. We're still covering all the games. Like, don't. I think when it was reported, it almost read like, this is the end of Sports Illustrated. And by the way, I don't blame the reports in the sense that like the way it was worded, it some of us were like, is this the end of the company? Like, What's happening? The company's still here. Uh, and we're hoping it'll be here for a very long time, whether or not that's with the Arena Group, uh, who, who currently signs our checks, or if that's with another company that comes in is willing to pay the license. So um, that's where we're at. I know that's a little bit confusing, but I feel like it, as listeners, you deserve to kind of know what's going on. Yeah, I'm glad you laid it out, Matt, and kind of explained the situation. And, you know, it, it did kind of bother me, you know, and people assuming it's, it's the death of SI. Like, we don't know a lot what's going on. We're still unsure, but we do know we're still here. We're producing content and we're having a good time. So, yeah, it's a, it's a little rocky and uncertain. And, and, you know, you don't know what the future brings. And we all have different situations. We, we have our own, you know, family stuff, backgrounds, whatever it is. So it is a little unsettling right now. But the whole demise of SIB and debt's premature. We're here. Uh, and, and again, like it, it was, a, it, I think I needed a day to kind of process everything, maybe two days. Then it's kind of, you know what, we're here watching football. It's the playoffs. Again, it's the best weekend in the NFL. Like people like to tell, tell me, and, and it was, it was a good time. And, you know, you know, talking to you, Matt, and we haven't been in here as long as Albert and Connor, but the past right. year, I'm sure, you know, you could, you, you could relate. It's been pretty, uh, uh, pretty fulfilling, you know, like a dream come true. I, yes. I mentioned that you've mentioned that. So. Overall, it's been a great ride for a year, and we'll see what happens. How about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, listen, um, it's it's been great working, and, and I really, truly believe it's going to work out. I do. I, honest to God, I believe that. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. You know, I, I don't want to say it's going to be fine in the sense that we just lost a lot of college, and so nothing's fine about that. Okay, it, I'm talking in terms of the magazine the company like the name it's it's sports illustrated i know the magazines are not as red as they were in the 80s and 90s i'm not a moron i get that we still do a lot of traffic on the website like an insane amount of traffic especially on the nfl side where thanks to all of you who are listening and reading content remains king um you know i'll be down covering the senior bowl next week with albert like this is it was weird this week. It felt like you were attending your own funeral online because people were like, here's a eulogy to SI. And you're like, well, actually, here's a piece I just wrote for it today. I, <laughs> I get why it was reported that way. I don't begrudge anybody 
but it's just it's simply not the case like si might be around for another 50 years for all i know like it's it's not we're we're not planning on going anywhere. so just to be clear um actually speaking on all that so let's pivot to something that's positive uh i want just a real quick before we get into this the magazine i believe is coming out this week for this uh for january um and it is a piece that I worked on for over six months. Uh, it is uh, the 50 most influential teams in NFL history. And if you're, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, oh, another listicle. No, not quite. Like, so we came up with a panel of, I believe it was 31 people in total, blue ribbon panel. We're talking people ranging anywhere from Albert and Bill Polian to Peter King to John McClain to Lewis Riddick to Ernie Accorsi. Uh, NFL historian John Turney, Ray Didinger, Mike Tanier, um, on and on. I mean, Amy Trask was involved in this as, as one of the panelists. Uh, Dave Damaschek. I, I could go on. I mean, it's it's a who's who. Um, Jason Cole, uh, Rick Gosselin. I mean, tons of Hall of Fame voters. Tons of people who have been involved in the league. So we did the panel. 31 people, I believe it was. We all voted on it. And... Uh, we came up with the top 50 teams in terms of their influence in NFL history all the way back to 1920. And for those pieces, I wrote a I wrote a bit about each team, uh, all 50, and then we had a panelist give a quote for each team about why that team was so impactful. And then, which I think is the coolest part of this, so I reached out for every Super Bowl-era team and a couple of the Packers teams predating the Super Bowl, reached out, and we got in touch with great players or coaches for every one of those teams. And we talked to them and they gave a quote about those teams. So we're talking about people like Jerry Kramer, Dan Fouts, Ty Law, Randy Cross, Drew Pearson. Um, I mean, oh my God, this I interviewed well more than a dozen all fair. Bill Parcells was involved, Bill Billick, uh, Brian Bill, excuse me, uh, Dick Vermeil, uh, Larry Zonka, Joe Namath. Uh, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, it was it, it was a Bobby Bell was another one. Um, it was it was a thrill to do it to put it together. Uh, it in the magazine is sixteen pages long, uh, and that is only like forty five hundred of the words. Like, in the, if you read it in the magazine, you're not going to see all the player quotes because they had to cut it for length. I mean, there's no way it would have been a book. Online, it starts Monday, uh, whatever that is, the 29th. And it goes all five days, 10 teams per day throughout the course of the week at SI.com. And there you can read it in full. It's more than 25,000 words. So I encourage everybody to please read it, check it out. I'm going to be obnoxious about promoting it. Uh, I'm doing every radio hit I possibly can in the country over the next week because not only did I put in a lot of work, but a lot like our editors put in a ton of work. Albert, to give him credit. You know, he was gracious enough to sit there and do it. And Albert took it. I took it very, very seriously. Um, so this is a lot of work for people that don't even work for SI, who are panelists, who who did their did their uh, yeoman's work for it. So please, if you if you enjoy what I hope is really good content, high and high level stuff, read it. If you have any appreciation for the NFL's history, you want to have appreciation for it, you will enjoy this. Uh, it was a pleasure to put it all together. Yeah, I'm glad you promoted it, Matt. You know, 25,000 words. You better promote that thing and, and go on the radio and, and the podcast here. So I'm glad it came together for you and you spoke to the right people. Those are a lot of Hall of Famers, uh, a lot of people with football experience. And, you know, I'll say this. Like, I don't really get a lot. Of, I don't get starstruck too often when I talk to people, at least like who are currently famous. But whenever right. you get an opportunity to talk to somebody that played football in the 70s or 80s and they're a Hall of Famer and they won Super Bowl rings, like you, you kind of feel like, man, this guy was like, like that was the guy or that dude. 
yeah. back in the day. I got that a few times with Tom Flores. I got a chance to talk to him, former yeah. Raiders coach. So uh, won two Super Bowls too. So I'm sure for you, anytime you picked up the phone or somebody called you and like, yeah, that guy was a stud back in the day. Dude, it, it's funny because they were also true to their personalities. Like I interviewed Larry Zonka and Larry was, and I, and I love Larry. I've talked to him before. Larry is like, how can I word this? He's gently combative all the time. And then he's just combative and it's, and it's fun. It was so much fun having the players who in some cases are in their eighties. Like, where were we ranked? And then you tell me, <laughs> I should, we should have been higher than that. You know, like, and they just like, I interviewed Thurman Thomas for uh, one of the teams and he was great. Cause he was like, he got off the phone, he texted me. He's like, I'm telling all of my teammates, like everybody's so pumped we're on the list, right? Like, so like, and then I, I reached out and talked to Bill Parcells about one of the Giants teams. And Bill was just very matter of fact, like straight up. And then he's like, have you, he's like, how many of the, and I, I don't mind, I'll give a little bit away. He's like, how many of the Giants teams made it? I was like, two of them. He's like, you talked to Phil Sims? I'm like, yeah, I talked to Phil Sims, who by the way was awesome. He was actually the first one I talked to for this. Um, and he's like, talk to Phil Sims? Like, yeah. He's like, did he tell you how much I yelled at him? He's like, yes. <laughs> and he's just like, good. I'm glad he remembers that. And it, <laughs> that was it. Like, but they were, people were so genuinely excited to be part of the list. Like, I didn't get one person who was like, what is this? What are you doing? Like, to your point about the Raiders, I talked to Matt Millen. I talked to Art Shell. Um, it was just fun, man. Like, it was just really like you got some guys who were in their eighties. You had some people like Ty Law. Ty Law was like he was so excited that they were on the list, and he was just, he was pumped. Like it was it was a lot of fun, man. And to like go down memory lane with those guys. I'll tell you real quick, and then we'll move on. So the Cowboys, some of the Cowboys teams were the last ones I I finished up just by happenstance, and I was having a hard time getting numbers from the players. Nothing against the Cowboys and their PR staff; they're great. It's just it was difficult. So I finally got Drew Pearson on the phone. And Drew was the man. He was awesome. And I said, hey, Drew, you know, there's one other Cowboys team. I got I got to get hold of somebody. And I'm having a hard time. Like, I'd hate to have them be the only team that I don't have a player quote from. He was like, don't worry about it. We'll get it done. He sent me seven numbers from one of the – he's like, just keep calling every one of them until somebody answers the phone. It was like <laughs> – he was like, we have to be represented. We got – I mean – it was so I'm looking forward to texting everybody over the weekend and being like, hey, it's coming out on Monday. Like, make sure you go get the magazine. Make sure you go online. It, it was a lot of fun. If if everything works out here at SI, we're going to make it a franchise where every year I do a top 50 thing and we do something like this. It, it was I'm a history nerd. It was awesome. Talking to Joe Namath was like wow. a bucket list thing. And yeah. Joe couldn't have been better. Joe was so excited about it. So in any event, lots of fun. Please go check it out. Launches on Monday, five-part series, Monday through Friday, 10 teams per day. And it'll be in the magazine, a 16-page spread. I love to frame the whole damn thing at my house, but 16 pages might be... Our editor, John, has been... He's like, you got to frame it. You got to frame it. It's a huge spread. I'm like, John, <laughs> I need a new wall. Like, you know, 16. <laughs> so we'll see what we do there. But in any event, all right, let's get into the week. So... First of all, let's get into the games. We'll go back to the coaching carousel, and then we'll get into the AFC title game, the NFC title game. This weekend, four games. The only game that was a real blowout, the Ravens handled business. They crushed Houston. It was actually 10-10 at halftime. It looked like it was going to be interesting. And then to Baltimore's credit, they came out, and they, 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 they put Houston away pretty quickly. In the latter window, Green Bay, listen, you got to feel great about the year you had. You also got to be sick. They should have won that game. I mean, they gave that game away. 
The Niners, to their credit, found a way to survive. They got the job done. They win there on Sunday. The Lions, I, I don't know how you felt watching that game. I never felt like they were going to lose that game, but it was tight throughout. They ended up pulling away a little bit in the fourth quarter. T- Tampa made it a one-score game, but they, they couldn't uh, couldn't finish the job. Mayfield had a couple of picks. And so their season, which was kind of like Green Bay, like what are you going to do, right? I mean, you had a great year, but it ends in Motown. And then, of course, the game that most people are looking forward to all weekend long, it did not disappoint. Kansas City winning 27-24 over Buffalo. Tyler Bass wide right, which uh, a little salt in the wound there for Bills fans. Although, look, listen, I – I don't care if Tyler Bass did that field goal or not. They were losing that game because Mahomes with two timeouts and a buck 40. Like they were getting down the field. So you can get mad at Tyler Bass all you want. I think he was delaying the inevitable if he hits that field goal. But uh, we now know our final four. So let's lead off with this. Instead of just going through all the games, who are you of the teams that survived, of the teams that won? Who were you most impressed by and who were you least impressed by over those over those uh, four games? You know, for impressive, I think it obviously has to be the Baltimore Ravens. And I think we needed that last kind of, you know, I guess check mark for them. Okay, you got a 20-day delay, you know, or, or layoff. Are you yep. going to be rusty? Is it going to be 2019 all over again? You're the number one seed. Then they're 10-10. I was like, okay, maybe maybe they are the same Ravens. And then the second half, they just blew them out. And, and I love what Todd Munkin has done with Lamar Jackson, you know, the passer, the runner, combining all his skill set and put it on display against the Texans defense with the D'Amico Ryans, that was pretty impressive. And then on the other side, once they got a lead, Mike McDonald was playing with house money, just, you know, pressuring CJ Stroud. So they are that dominant team, and they feel like they're the number one team right now in the NFL. So, you know, I'm very impressed with, uh, you know, with, with the Ravens. And then with the 49ers, you know, maybe I'm taking the, the easy ones here, but, you know, they weren't too impressive. But the thing, the thing here with the 49ers, how much do you take as a positive that they actually came back from a muddy game, I guess a rainy game, come from behind. Uh, you got smacked in the mouth a couple of times. They're not the most physical team to the Packers, but they played with the lead. They had a tough time, you know, containing Jordan Love. You know, one thing I think probably both of us kept saying, like, if, if that front doesn't get there, they have a weak secondary. And and even uh, Greenlaw and Fred Warner couldn't contain Jordan Love and, and Aaron Jones and Matt LaFleur called an excellent game, but they couldn't put it away. So do, do they kind of just take that? You know what? We survived. We know what we could win in the fourth quarter. That record of being 0-30 with Kyle Shanahan, forget about it. Brock Purdy, forget about the rainy game and all this, all the misses. You won that freaking game. Be confident and let's move forward. So I don't know how much how to feel about that. I do like to check the box in terms of playing from behind, but it wasn't a, a, a good game by any means. Yeah, I, I mean, I echo your thoughts, so I won't I won't go down the same road. I agree with you. I think that's that's well said. On the losing side. I want to talk about the Bills because I think the other three teams, I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Like they were all thrilled that they got that far. You know, Houston has a quarterback, obviously. Green Bay has a quarterback, no question. Uh, Tampa, look, I think Tampa, if nothing else, I mean, Mayfield's going to be back there next year. He should be. Um, So I I think, you know, look, those three teams, I don't want to push them aside for any fans out there. Listen, they had great years. They had great, they, they wildly exceeded expectations. I think Houston and Green Bay, it's clear, are going to be, uh, around for a while. And then, look, Tampa, they got some big question marks in free agency. I mean, Evans is hitting it. Winfield's hitting it. Mayfield's hitting it. So they got some work to do. But the Buccaneers certainly exceeded any expectation any, any reasonable person had for them. Now, for the Bills. I'm not going to sit here and say that loss is devastating from the standpoint of they were really beat up. And they played, you know, they played pretty well, but they they lost. They played pretty well offensively. Defensively, they got they got shelled. Even before the Chiefs nailed down, they're averaging nine yards of play, which is 
bonkers. But it is devastating from this standpoint. They have now gone to the divisional round four straight years. They advanced the first time to the AFC title game. The Chiefs clobbered them in that game. 2021, they had the 13 seconds game in Kansas City. They lose that game. Last year, they are home for the first time. Um, actually, excuse me, they're home for the second time in the divisional round. In 2020, they played Baltimore at home. They won it on a low scoring game. They go home for Cincinnati. They're big favorites last, last year at home against them. The Bengals are all beat up up front. The Bills are riding a long winning streak. The Bills got smoked in that game. And now this past weekend, they play a Chiefs team that, look, I think most people would agree is the most vulnerable the Chiefs have looked in years. And they lost to them. And they, they couldn't stop the offense. I get they were beat up. I understand all that. Um, the Bills have a lot of decisions to make this offseason. A lot. Both in free agency and uh, with guys who are not technically free agents but have one year left on their deals. Guys like Jordan Poyer. What are you going to do with him? Um, where do you think Buffalo is? We're sitting here now. Where does Buffalo go from here in your eyes? It's tough because they have a, a strong core, but they also have cap space issues. They have a lot of guys that got old quickly. And, you know, what happens with Stefan Diggs? I feel like Stefan Diggs might be the first piece here. And, you know, his contract is a pretty, pretty heavy one. And he has a cap hit number. You know, it's not even just about the contract. He he kind of showed his age a bit. You know, I think he's 30 years old. Uh, you know, hasn't didn't record a 100-yard game since, what, week six or week five because of the New York Giants. And, Got the opportunity in that game to get a you know down the field shot, and he and he, and he dropped the ball. So yep. and then he's not really talking to the media too. So and then he had that weird, you know, you know, absence from training camp. He was there, and then he left, and then you know, just being silent with the media kind of it just feels like there's some kind of disconnect there with Stephon Diggs and the Buffalo Bills. And then even it also felt like you know, in terms of on the on the field scheme wise, like they're trying to like phase them out, maybe not intentionally. And there's a couple of shots there where Josh Allen wants to you know go down the field to get him involved, but. This team is better when they go through James Cook, Dalton Kincaid, Dawson Knox, uh, Khalil Shakir, uh, even Gabe Davis because he's a good blocker too as well. He didn't play in the playoffs, but, you know, and maybe that's the part about it too. Like they, when Josh Allen wants to play hero ball, part of it is he wants to get Stephon Diggs involved because obviously he's going to hear about it if he doesn't get him involved. Yeah. And and when Josh Allen does that, things don't tend to go well. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't be explosive. They needed some explosive plays against the Kansas City Chiefs. They're a little too conservative. But it was working for three quarters. I'm surprised the Chiefs defense couldn't stop that running game. They were getting carved up. The yep. whole element there with Josh Allen being a runner was difficult to kind of match up with. I don't like that he takes a bunch of hits doing that, but that's a story for another day. But it feels like these this Bill squad, they don't know who they want to be. And when they kept going back and forth and being conservative to, you know, bombs away, and they're kind of in the middle, and that we saw that in that fourth quarter kind of meltdown, that, that pass in the end zone to Shakir. I know Chris Jones hit him. But why don't you, like Tony Romo said, go? why don't you go to Diggs or why don't you go to me or a tight end or James Cook? Just keep moving down the field and kill clock. Because like you said, Matt, if, if they get that field goal, plenty of time was still in the clock with timeouts for the Chiefs to go and win that game or tie or whatever. So it was poor execution, but it was kind of ironic that they don't know who they are. So maybe the Diggs factor could force them to go one way, draft a wide receiver, get younger, and build through that way. And the other part of it too is like, I know Sean McDermott's going to be around, but have we reached a point where like he's maxed out? This yep. is a wall here. Yep. Like it's, you can't get past the second round. I know he went to the to the title game, but he's gone backwards. And you know you get you gave him credit. I have too for hey, this Bills franchise was kind of on the down for many many years, and he comes in and they go to the playoffs. So, are you content with doing that again, or do you say you know what? 
I see Mike Rayboy out there and go hire that guy. But it feels a little too late in the game for that. So I think McDermott is back. Yep. So I go back to Stefan Diggs here. So I I try to just be direct with this. They're not good enough. They're not good enough. Like at some point, we do this weird thing in the media, and I'm not saying you and I in particular, just in general, where it's like, well, the Bills, Allen's a laser show, and they're so exciting. And look at what they do, and look how they blew out this team. They blew out that team, and they're the best team. They're not. We've seen this now. Four years in the playoffs. I'm not including the first year they made the playoffs because they were kind of like just young and happy to be there, and they weren't the same team. The last four years, they've had real expectations. And the last four years, the reality of the situation is the Chiefs have kicked them out of the playoffs in three of the four years, and Cincinnati beat the Chiefs two at the other time. That's it. That's the reality. And we can sit here and talk about Allen, and we could talk about Diggs, and we could talk about McDermott, we, whatever you want to talk about, the defense. And, and that's where I want to go with this is the defense, which kind of does go back to McDermott. In all four of their playoff losses, they have gotten loud defensively, all four of them. The 13 seconds game, the Chiefs hung 42 on them. The year before that, they hung 38 on them. The Bengals and the and the Chiefs in the last two years each scored 27 points, and both it feels like it should have been could have scored more. I mean, if Hardman doesn't fumble the ball, the Chiefs have 34 points. Like their defense stinks in big games. It stinks. Period. Flat out. Like, and that's a McDermott problem. You know, now he was the coordinator this year for it. The other three years it was Leslie Frazier, but McDermott's a defensive-minded head coach. It falls at your feet. They're not good enough. Because Allen, if you look at those four games, I would say in two of them he wasn't good. The AFC title game years ago, he did not play particularly well. And the Bengals game didn't play well. He was otherworldly in the 13 seconds game. No fault of his own. And I had nothing he could do. And in this past game, I wouldn't say he was great. I thought he was very good. He ran for, I think it was like 80 yards. And the only thing I would say in the game, and part of that was the digs drop and everything else, but like, Past the line of scrims, he was 10 of 21 for 95 yards. I mean, if you're going to be compared to Mahomes, you can't go 10 of 21 for 95 yards past the line of scrims. You just can't. Sorry. Like, you got to make a few things happen. That being said, I mean, I don't even think he's in the top three reasons of the reason they lost that game. I mean, they lost that game for a lot of other things, chief among them the defense. And yes, they were beat up. They weren't beat up on the line, and the Chiefs ran the ball down their throat the entire game. I mean, the Chiefs were blowing open holes. That's where I look at the Bills and I just say, look, man, I'm sorry. At some juncture, reality's reality. You're not winning enough games in the playoffs to justify just running it back and being like, well, it's good. And they're not going to run it back this offseason because they can't. They're going to lose Hyde. They're going to lose Gabe Davis. Okay. Daquan Jones might be gone. After that, I mean, you got one year left with Poyer, who I would imagine is gone. One year left with Morris, who's probably back, but that might be it. Rasul Douglas has one year left on his deal. We'll see if they extend him, what they do, they maybe play it out. Diggs, I, I don't know what you do. I mean, he didn't have 100 yards since week six. He's over 30 years old now. You could post-June 1 trade him. You're not going to get a fortune, but you'd still get a pretty good pick, I would imagine. Probably even a second-round pick, something like that. You know, because you're trading away that contract. Von Miller's untradeable. Von Miller, you're just stuck with $24 million on the cap next year. He did nothing all year long. Like, that's... And by the way, that's my other problem with, with Buffalo right now. The defensive line in that game. Where were you guys? I mean, Leonard Floyd had 10 and a half sacks. Leonard Floyd's on a milk carton right now. Did anybody see Leonard Floyd in that game? All I heard about was how Ed Oliver's been so great this year. And he has. 
Ed Oliver's been awesome this year. Excellent player. No showed in that game. Nothing. Not one pressure in that game. It's first time in like a year and a half he hasn't had a pressure in the game. Daquan Jones. He was looking like an all-pro before he got hurt against Jacksonville. Where was he in that game? Nowhere to be found. You know, I we're, we're you know Von Miller's not been nowhere to be found all year long. Nothing changed. Greg Rousseau, your first round pick, man, make a play. Like that's the, to me, that's the problem in Buffalo. You know, everybody's going to focus on Allen. And look, I thought Allen, if I had the grade, was like a BB plus in the game. Where's your defense? I don't. I get your linebackers are hurt. I get it. You still had your starting safeties. You still had your corners. Like, come on. Make a play. Do so, nine yards per play? Are you kidding me? The Chiefs had five third down attempts in that game. Five. That's impossible. Buffalo had that on one drive in that game. So that's, I think Buffalo's got to do a serious look in the mirror. At this, they got to have a serious look in the mirror and really ask themselves, are we good enough to beat Kansas City, to beat a healthy Cincinnati team, to beat Baltimore? Because I got to tell you, the answer to me is no, they're not. And they've proven that over the last half decade. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with anything you just said right there, uh, uh, Matt, in terms of the Buffalo Bills. So, uh, you know, they have a lot of issues they got to figure out. They got stuff, you know, free agency. They got to make some trades. Uh, I think the coaching staff is going to stay the same, but we'll see what happens with the Buffalo Bills. So let's move on to the coaching carousel instead of our bigger story because there's so much to get to this week. So the coaching carousel just got actually really interesting because Vic Fangio just left the Dolphins and is now going to join the Eagles. Which maybe not a head coaching move, but a big move. Vic Fangio is one of the best defense coordinators in the league. Miami's defense jumped about twenty spots this year defensively. How how much better they got, and now he's gone, and he goes to Philly, which is a coup for Sirianni and for Howie Roseman. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on that here. Brian Callahan taking the Tennessee job, the former Bengals offensive coordinator. So he leaves. He takes the job there. Um, Shane Waldron goes from being the OC with Seattle to the OC with Chicago. I love that hire for the Bears. I think Waldron's an excellent OC. Um, and then uh, Antonio Pierce, uh, losing the interim tag, getting the job in uh, in Vegas. So let's let's start with the head coaches. Pierce staying in Vegas, essentially, and becoming the permanent head coach. Callahan to Tennessee. Do you like those hires? Do you, do you think they're underwhelming? Where do you fall on them? Yeah, the Brian Callahan one was, you know, interesting. Kind of came out of nowhere. And I know some people were saying, hey, watch out for this guy kind of late in the process. And I'm like, okay, we kind of hear that every year. Like, you know, a surprise name or, you know, an offensive coordinator or offensive play caller. Because people want that. It's a trend in the NFL. And when he got high, I'm like, oh, no, they actually did it. And and it kind of felt like he had other offers too. I think Albert and, and Connor were saying that. So, you know what? And I like the move because, you know, I get you want to change the philosophy. Obviously, you go for Mike Brable, a defensive background, so you probably want to have somebody more offensive-minded, so I, I understand that part. And there's not as many, you know, offensive coordinators out there this time around. Obviously, you got the, the big names that are very, very established, and Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, uh, you can't hire Mike Brable again, and, and maybe even a Pete Carroll. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be, I was not going to be surprised if, if him or Dave Canales got hired because, again, the offensive background. Like, I, sometimes I wonder about Mike McDonald being a defensive coordinator, maybe not getting a shot, but he's been really good. He'll probably get something there. But hey, what what you've done with Joe Burrow and the Bengals and Zach Taylor always raving about you? Hey, you're you're probably definitely a big part of that 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 franchise there. The last few years as Joe Burrow got there, and they're reading some of Connor stuff saying where Joe Burrow is pretty reserved to himself, but he has a lot of trust and and Brian Callahan, and then obviously 
you know, his dad is his very famous Bill Ca- Bill Callahan, you know, offensive line coach for the for the Browns. I wonder if you're gonna know, bring him down. Like, if your son's a head coach in the NFL, you want to coach with your son as a head coach. I'm sure you try to find a way to figure that out. But I like it. You know, it, it's it's a little different outside the box. And when you know you got a guy, go get go go get and hire and hire that person. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, look, I like Callahan. I, I think you know, he's a young mind. Uh, certainly spent time there in Cincinnati under Zach Taylor, and he's a guy who comes over from a, a loaded offense to an offense that you know, had some intriguing pieces. Uh, you know, Conquell being one of those guys, Traylon Burks being one of those guys, but certainly the kind of needs to find its way. I like the move, though. I think as long as he pairs with a strong defensive coach, um, you know, we watched the AFC South go young with the Colts and the Texans hires. Both worked out beautifully. Um, I like that the Titans went young here. I like that the Titans, after having a defensive-minded coach in Vrabel, going the offensive route. Um, I'm not like blown away by the hire, but I think it's a good hire. I, I like it. I like that uh, you know, Callahan's getting a shot. He's been in the talk for the coaching cycle now the last couple of years. So I like it there. As far as Pierce goes, listen, Max Crosby basically was threatening to force a trade if they didn't uh, hire Antonio Pierce. So I thought Pierce did a nice job. I thought he, you know, he's a leader of men. Um, I, I thought it was the right move for the Raiders. And I, and I'm actually glad the Raiders did it because, like, the Raiders have this thing about they've always got to have the guy who they could plaster on a billboard and be like, this is our guy. I, I, I think Pierce, while not a Jim Harbaugh name, is is the right name. Like, it's just a good hire. It's not flashy. It's not going to be in, in 1,000 watts, you know, all over the city. But, like, it's a good hire. Now, on the flip side of that, I'm not overly excited about the Tom Telesco hire for the Raiders as their GM. Tom Telesco did not draft well with the Chargers for a long time, especially once you got past the first round. Like he was okay in the first round. Picks were a train wreck, second round and on most years. I mean, a disaster. And in free agency, a couple hits, a lot of misses. Like, I don't love, I mean, this is a guy who had Rivers and Herbert for a decade and couldn't want to, couldn't do anything with him for the most part so not in love with that but i do like the pierce hire i give the tandem like a b minus i give pierce on its face on his face i give him like a, a b plus higher i like that even a minus is cool with me telesco i give like a c c minus i just think it's not the most inspired hire in the world i like pierce i think pierce is a good hire yeah you know obviously i'm familiar with tom telesco from my days uh, of covering the chargers you know I, you know i think i got there in 2018 so i got to work with him for about three or four years very closely and i'll say that he, he's definitely very savvy with the cap space and that was kind of his, his baby with the chargers he, he kept that thing clean for for his you know i guess what nine out of ten or nine out of eleven years and then the pressure kind of got to him to make some moves restructure some deals make some trades so the salary cap he left it in bad shape but i think that was more pressure but then again, it kind of shows that he's a very conservative coach. Okay, he wants to make sure, you know, you know, the, the salary cap is nice. There's not a problem. That could be also a Spanos family thing. I don't know if that's a yeah. Tom Telesco thing, but you know, he 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 hit on his first round draft picks, you know, and which is obviously an easier thing to do than the ones in the second, third, fourth round. So we we all know that it doesn't really extend players past the first round. So, but when you when you get a Justin Herbert, which also he doesn't get a lot of credit because. The Dolphins took Tua, and then you wonder who if if the Dolphins take, you know, Herbert, and you're you're with Tua. How does that play out too? So it's kind of a different scenario, but he's good with that. He's a very conservative coach. Doesn't like to make. I mean, a GM doesn't like to make a lot of trades. 
but he he knows how to kind of build a, a roster and 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 build kind of an identity, a good culture too, things like that. He just sometimes a little too safe. Uh, doesn't take enough chances. I feel like like obviously less neat and Tom Telesco are uh, just polar opposites. You know, covering both of them in L.A. and less is very aggressive. Tom is not that way. But with the Raiders, they've they've had so much you know instability the last whatever twenty years. If you yep. want to find some stability and kind of have something safe, maybe it's not a bad thing for the Raiders. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, as far as uh, fans are going from Miami to Philly and Waldron going from Seattle to Chicago, listen, I think the Waldron hire in Chicago, you know, they had interviewed Greg Roman. If Greg Roman had gotten hired, I think that would have been a very strong indication that they were going to stick with Justin Fields. They hired Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron runs more of a conventional passing attack, more of a conventional offense coming from Seattle. Uh, young guy, smart guy, guy who, you know, look, there's even been some talk in the last couple of years, like, hey, he's a future head coach. He goes to the Bears. I think that leaves it wide open for anybody to be the quarterback there, whether it's Fields or it's one of these kids that they could draft. Um, you know, he became available because Carroll, obviously, is no longer the coach in Seattle. And so I, I think it's a I think it's a really smart hire for the Bears. You know, he's a young coach. He's somebody who could really, you know, grow with this quarterback, uh, you know, if he doesn't get a head coaching gig. Uh, and if he does, well, then that says he's a pretty damn good coordinator and you're probably pretty happy to have. So uh, I like that hire. The Fangio thing is very interesting to me. The Fangio thing, like, that's a huge loss for Miami. I mean, Fangio's a really good defensive coordinator, supposedly going back to Philadelphia so we can be closer to his family in Pennsylvania. Great hire for the Eagles. Um, and that's not going to be a huge scheme adjustment because they, they play a lot of his scheme anyway. Miami, if I'm a Dolphins fan, I am bummed, man. That's that I thought that was a great hire last year, and it became one for them. And now he's out the door, and there's already talk about Brendan Staley's going to replace him. And, and man, listen, like Brendan Staley's a coordinator, is different than as a head coach. I get <laughs> it. I'd rather have Vic Fangio as my coordinator. So yeah. that's a that's a big bit of news out of uh, South Beach. Yeah, and with when this Vic Fangio scheme became very trendy, Matt, I think the only person that was able to run it was Vic Fangio. So it's it's not hasn't been really a good look for the coordinators or the, that that branch there for the tree. Yes, yes. All right, let's get into it here. Uh, championship Sunday. So we got, of course, two games for the right to play in Las Vegas Super Bowl Super Sunday Fifty Eight. Um, and we're going to run down the lines, as always, from SI Sportsbook. Uh, you can go to SISportsbook.com for all gambling needs. The first of the two games, the AFC Championship, the Chiefs are in their sixth consecutive championship game, the only team in the longer streak, New England of the eighth. They are at Baltimore. The Ravens have not been in this spot since the days of Joe Flacco. They are at home. They are laying three and a half points do you like the ravens to win do you like the ravens to cover yeah you know i like the ravens and you know i know a lot of people maybe a good amount of people expect maybe a, a dominant performance because the ravens have been very good and then the chiefs have been very so-so mm -hmm. but i think you know i did like what i saw for patrick mahomes and, and travis kelsey and rasheed rice and pacheco last week and obviously the bills defense is not the, the ravens defense but i'm sure for for confidence and building some kind of chemistry I think that Chiefs offense could do some damage against Mike McDonald, Roquan Smith, Kyle Hamilton, and the rest of the gang there. So I do like the Ravens. You know, I'll take the Ravens to cover. I'm not saying it's going to be like a dominant performance here, but uh, but still, you know, 
going against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid is going to be a tough task for them. And they're, they're, they're kind of they're kind of new to this territory, I guess. So at, at Lamar Jackson, right, first time being in an AFC title game. So uh, it could be kind of uncharted territory for them. But then again, you know, I did not like what the Chiefs showed me defensively last week. But then it could be maybe it was a one-time thing because they, they, they were just so dominant before that. And yeah, I know there were some kind of injuries too with some guys coming in and out. You know, I got word when Trent McDuffie went out. I love watching him play, but he came back into the game. The Jerry yep. Steen had another kind of lockdown performance on Stephon Diggs. So that, but the running game or the run defense really was concerning to see James Cook and Josh Allen go off on them. And then Lamar Jackson, obviously a much better mobile quarterback than Josh Allen. And then you got Dalvin Cook making plays. Imagine being a Jets fan and seeing that. Oh, they're, they're all of a sudden Dalvin that Cook. Hurts. A couple, yeah. couple runs there because it's a good blocking there from Baltimore. And then Justice Hill and, and Gus Edwards. So, I think that part could maybe throw off the Chiefs defense and maybe not, you know, you know, the thing about having so, such great defensive backs and corners and safety is like you can't really lock down somebody when you're, you know, you're playing kind of this run pass option on Lamar Jackson and you guys there likely maybe Mark Andrews is back. So I think the chess match is going to be very interesting, but I, I like the Ravens in a close game here. So, look, I think this game is a bigger coin flip than the NFC game. I think this is a game that like, if either team wins, I don't think anybody was walking away going, wow, I can't believe that team won. Like, I think you'd be like, okay, well, it's not that surprising. Um, I'm to the point, I, and look, I know they're obviously, if you're listening, you probably know I'm a Chiefs fan. Like, I, I grew up one. I'm to the point as a Chiefs, so I just treat them like the Patriots now. Like, I'm just going to pick them. I, I, I really am to the point, like, first of all, one thing I think that does get lost a little bit, everything you said is right. The Chiefs got to play way better against the run this week. I will say, I think there's more fear of the Buffalo passing attack than there is Baltimore's. Not that Baltimore doesn't have talent, but it certainly do. It's just the way Baltimore plays compared to the way Buffalo plays. I think the Chiefs are probably more willing to put more guys down the box against Baltimore than you are against Buffalo. Um, so that might be a little bit of a difference. It's also supposed to rain all day long down in Baltimore, so we'll see what happens. I will say, though, the one thing that's a little weird about this game is this narrative that like, Baltimore has a great defense, which they do. But then nobody talks about that the Chiefs have the second-ranked defense in the NFL. The Chiefs are second to Baltimore in, like, everything. Sacks, yards yards against, like, points against. Like, they're, they're second. In fact, actually, the Chiefs are second in yards against. I think Baltimore is sixth. Um, the, the Chiefs defensively, one stat that actually shocked me, because I was looking it up in preparation for this, according to pro football reference. So Baltimore is number one in sacks at 60 this year. Kansas City at 57. They're number two. The Ravens' pressure rate is 23rd in the league. The Chiefs is second. I was shocked that Baltimore's pressure rate is that low. And to be fair, that says, hey, look, when they get home, they really get home. The other thing in this game, I think, it's just, I think this is the key point. Baltimore this year, first team in NFL history to lead in points allowed, sacks, and turnovers. The Chiefs cannot turn the ball over in this game. If Kansas City, because Mahomes is very good, he's a lot like Allen about avoiding sacks. If Kansas City doesn't get into negative plays, I think they win this game because I think they don't like the Ravens this year have been so good about forcing teams into third and longs and second and longs with sacks, and then they take the ball away. If the Chiefs don't fall into that trap, I think they'll be all right. I think this is a battle of defenses. I think it's a three point game either way. I think both kickers are excellent. So if, you get, if it comes down to somebody making a kick, they're probably going to make it. Give me uh give me the Chiefs 23 to 20. I think it's a really good game. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I just think if it's close, the Chiefs have been here so many times 
I just think they find a way to win the game. But I, I can't wait. I honestly think this could be the game of the playoffs. I think, and I will say this: spoiler alert. Whoever wins this game, I think wins the Super Bowl. Mm. Take that for what it's worth. All right, let's go to the Lions and the Niners. Uh, Niners favored by six and a half. I almost said a candlestick at Levi Stadium. Should be candlestick. Um, the Lions coming off of the game where they beat the Bucks 31-23. Of course, the Niners escaped, as we talked about earlier. Do you like the Niners to bounce back strong here with the six and a half points being laid? Or do you think that the Lions either cover or flat out win on the road and go to the first Super Bowl in franchise history? You know, I'll, I'll take the Lions to cover, but I'll, I'll pick the 49ers to win and maybe another kind of rally. They've done it before now, and I think that's a good thing. But, you know, I, I think the Lions are, are much closer on the 49ers level than maybe some people want to you know consider, or maybe they do because they, they've won these last two playoff games here. And, you know, I, I recently wrote a SI that, you know, I think the Lions have more weapons than, than the 49ers. People didn't like that. I'm not saying all pros, but when you, when you got Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, Dave Montgomery, Amon Rossi Brown, even Jameson Williams and Josh Reynolds contributing. Oh, and you got Panay Sewell. And, you know, we'll see about Jonah Jackson and Frank Ragnar was a monster in that game, you know, playing with that banged up knee. So uh, Jared Goff has it nice there. So I think they're going to they're make some noise there. And then I actually was very impressed with Aaron Glenn's, you know, defense and game plan against the Buccaneers. He gets a little risky. He maybe Brock Purdy might make him pay, but Baker Mayfield did make him pay a couple times too. But those DB kind of uh, uh, blitzes with, with uh, you know, Brian Branch and Melifonwu and, you know, Kirby Joseph and, and CJ Garner-Johnson, like, it's kind of weird. They don't have good outside corners. We thought Cameron Sutton would be one of those guys, but they got a bunch of, you know, you know safeties and, and, and versatile defensive backs that are kind of made to throw some issues there at Brock Purdy. You know, they're not the Baltimore Ravens, but they got playmakers, and they got Aiden Hutchinson too, Aaliyah McNeil, so, you know, it's going to be a close game. I'm not going to count out the Detroit Lions, but and then the other part too, what if you don't have Debo Samuel? And then if he's not on the field, you're gonna send the, you know the pressure a little more, you know, a couple more blitzes too. So to kind of rattle Brock Purdy. So, you know, the, the more I talk about me, I should start taking the lines. But I think the final is gonna pull it off. You still have Christian McCaffrey. I love what Brock Purdy did with Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. He finally said, you know what? It can be perfect, it can be beautiful all the time. We got other stud playmakers here. Yep. And he had a nice throw to uh George Kittle for a touchdown. That uh, third and five for 10-yard completion of Brandon Eagle was impressive. You still got Trent Williams. And the other kind of key point here is I think Jordan Love's mobility and and, and, and knack to extend plays really gave Nick Bosa and company a lot of problems. Jared Goff is not known for that. It has to be kind of structure in the pocket. So I think Bosa could get, yep. Bosa could get home. Chase Hill could get home. And that way you, could, you put less pressure on your secondary. So it gave me the 49ers to win, but the lines to cover. Uh, I also think the Niners to win the Lions cover. Look, I, I will say this, though. I think there's a real chance the Lions can find a way to win this game. I don't give them the same chance that I give the Chiefs or the Ravens. I think that's more of a 50-50 proposition where I think this is probably more like maybe 2-1 to one for the Niners. But that, that's, you know, listen, it's one game. I mean, those are that's a real you know chance to give a team. I, I think the Lions, if they're going to win, they're going to win up front. They're going to win because the offensive line can move guys. Montgomery and Gibbs can run the ball, and Goff can stay on schedule. Because let's face it, we all know with Goff, if Goff can stay on schedule, he can be really good. And if you can get Goff off schedule, it can be a problem. So I think the, the Lions, they got to win that way. But I think Ben Johnson's a hell of a coordinator, man. Like, he's going to figure out some ways to do these things. Um, the Niners got bullied by the Packers at times in that football game. There's no way to say it. Like, the Packers were just moving guys in that game. So, look, I think the Lions can do some of that. This has to be a big game from Hutchinson and from Aline McNeil and the guys up front. They got to get pressure. They got to get home. The Lions are not a good coverage team. They've given up more air yards than anybody in the NFL this season. 
Okay, but look, Purdy, if you can get to him, you can also cause him a problem, which is, by the way, why I think in the Super Bowl, if the Niners get there, they got a problem because the, the, the Ravens and the Chiefs, both of those teams defensively, are just going to tee off. Here it comes, and uh, the quarterback in the air side, no matter who it is, not bad. So look, I think the Niners win. I think the Lions have a shot, uh, but they've got to run the ball. And they've got to be able to win at the point of attack on both sides. If they can do that, they have a chance to win this game. Uh, I, I think it's something like 30 to 24, something like that. I, I, right around you know, 28 to you know, 23, somewhere in that range. So um, you have a Super Bowl of Baltimore and San Francisco. I have a Super Bowl, which, by the way, is what I picked for the playoffs. So if that works out, I guess I could hang my hat on that. I have the Kansas City-San Francisco. Either one would be a rematch of a pretty recent Super Bowl. Um, and I think either way, it's a damn good game. I think it'd be fun. Really, any combination of these four teams would be fun. I, I think, you know, the, the Lions and the Ravens, we did see that wasn't pretty for Detroit, but I, I think it would be fun. Um, we shall see. Look, I would, I would now, this is usually where we're like, hey, what happened this week? <laughs> we all know what happened this week. This is a long week. Um, <laughs> I don't think we need to, we already did what happened this week uh, at the beginning. So, We'll skip it. We have some uh, meetings to attend here in a few minutes. We got to get rolling. But uh, any final thought uh, you want to part with uh, here as we we go on a championship Sunday? No, not really. You know, I, I think we I think we covered the 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 uneasiness at the beginning of the show. But you know, again, I'm 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 so excited for the future and uh, watch some football on the weekend. So this is gonna better than that sometimes. Yeah, I am. Uh... I am looking forward to watching the games. And then the next day, boarding a plane for uh, Pensacola before I drive to Mobile. So yeah, we do this I, podcast. Uh, I've actually never be been down there, Matt. So you know, it sounds like it's an experience. Yeah, I was just uh, texting with Albert last night because I'm staying in an Airbnb and he's staying down at a hotel and uh, we're coordinating, trying to meet up and whatnot. And it's uh, no, it's going to be good. I, this is how many times. This will be at least the fourth, maybe the fifth time I've been wow. down there. They do a nice job. Uh, Jim Nagy and, 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 and company, they do a really good job uh, covering the uh, covering the, or setting it or setting up the event. They do a hell of a job. I also love that it's sponsored by Reese's because I load up <laughs> like nobody's business. The first, dude, the first time I went down there, the first time I went down there, they were just handing out like stacks of Reese's peanut butter cups. And <laughs> it's like... I brought a bunch back to my hotel. Like, this is going to be great. Like, I'll have reached this for like a year, right? Well, when you're down at these events, sometimes because you're out with sources, you go out and you have, you know, you have a few drinks. And um, I didn't bring one of those Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> oh, it, it was a disaster. Um, I, I, it was, but it was, it was a beautiful disaster. But I know I do look forward to it. Jim Nagy and his and his staff do a wonderful job putting it together. Um, they really do give you a lot of access and it's a great place to, you know, see sources, meet with people, talk to people, you know, and just see colleagues too. So that's a lot of fun. I am looking forward to being down there for, uh, what, three days or so. So listen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Uh, appreciate your support as always. And we will be back again next week to talk about the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58. We will know what the matchup is about a hundred hours from now. So, for Gilberto Manzano, I am Matt Berger, and I thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.